I'm Daryl Racy, and some of you know me quite well, others may not so well. Uh, we've been associated with the church since its formation. We were overseas for 26 years in Egypt and Jordan, and came back every so often to participate in VBS or in faith life groups. Um, in 2013, we came back from 26 years of overseas to live in Lincoln, Nebraska, to work with refugees who are here in Lincoln. And we've been a part of Faith Bible since then. I've taught Sunday school classes, I've given updates, I've preached. Uh, Ruth is involved with the um, porch light studies and refit and some other things like uh, teaching little preschoolers about missions. So we've been around the block a few times. Um, it's a delight to serve you in this way. Now, as I get ready to speak, I want to talk about Acts. This is where we got the month of messages, Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which we've defined as worship, and to prayer. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, if those things are done well, then the result is Acts 2, 47. The Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So when... Devotion to the word, devotion to fellowship, devoted to worship and to prayer. When those things are done well, then it leads to the expansion of the kingdom. That's why today's sermon is dedicated or devoted to missions. Now, when Jesus taught, he used a lot of parables. So I'm going to sprinkle a few parables and visuals in my sermon because we need all the help that heaven can give. To understand this incredible and deep topic so let's start with prayer father your kingdom come your will be done here and throughout the world we pray that you'll use us you'll convict us you'll help me step aside and let the holy spirit speak through your scripture and I pray that you will give us all willing hearts and minds to absorb the teaching of today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now before I start, I want to mention a few terms, clarify them, and a few matters. Start with your telephone. When you see a phone call come in and you recognize it, of course, if you don't recognize it, sometimes you don't answer it. Or it's a suspected spam call. I get those all the time. So you ignore it. But when it's somebody you know, and you say, hello, what does that mean? It usually means I'm available. I'm receptive to what you have to say. Well, when God saved you, he came into your life. But oftentimes, we don't give him first priority. But when we're tired of the mess that we make, even as Christians, it's time to let God drive 
your life. So this is a little illustration. Because I find a lot of times when people invite Christ into their lives, it's as a passenger. And Christ is just riding shotgun with them. He's just along for the ride. But I'm still in control. It is time, and I beg of you, switch places. Let him control your life. Let him drive your car, the car of your life, where it's heading, where it's going. And you're along for the ride. And believe me, it's a wild ride. So we pray and we hope and acknowledge that Christ is the king of our lives, the king of this universe. We prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done. We sang that. I'm here to do his will. Isaiah, or we talk about uh, John here first. Um, John said, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out isn't that incredible god knows your name and he calls your voice and there's a chance to respond christ says my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me so i can guarantee you that god will will call your name just like he did abraham abraham before he he was going to kill his son and he called Moses, Moses at the burning bush. He, he will call your name. My question to you is, when he calls your name, how will you respond? Will you say, here I am? Or will you say, what do you want? Because there's a big difference in how we respond when he calls our name. Devotion to missions needs us to let God be in control. In Isaiah, he heard God's voice. He saw God high and lifted up in an awesome scene in heaven. And God asked, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am. Send me. And there's a lot of jokes about that verse. Here I am. Send my sister. But Isaiah didn't respond that way. He said, I am available. I am listening. I want to respond. When you hear God's voice calling your name, don't respond lightly. Oh, here I am. Because how you respond will have profound ramifications. Incredible things happen when you respond to God calling your name with an open heart and a willing spirit to put aside your preferences and leave your comfort zone and let him drive. Now, we've heard we're all responsible for sharing the gospel and word and deed in our square mile here. Tom was very good at reminding us of that responsibility we have. We are all responsible to expand the kingdom of God. But we do that in two ways, in evangelism 
and in missions. Now, Faith Bible Church defines missions this way. Missions is the work of the church in reaching across cultural, religious, ethnic, and geographic barriers, now hold on to that word, barriers to advance the work of making disciples of all nations. That's our definition at Faith Bible Church. Evangelism is required to make that happen, but for many people groups, for many nations, we need something more. We need to intentionally cross either a cultural, a religious, an ethnic, or a geographic barrier. So look at it this way. Evangelism is like spreading fish food. It's spreading the gospel, spreading the word. But if there's no fish in the bowl, then the fish food isn't going to do any good. Missions is putting fish in different bowls so that when the fish food comes, evangelism can cause multiplication. Two fish become four, become eight, or maybe I should say rabbits. Uh, that's the goal. That's the difference between missions and evangelism. They are both necessary. Now let's look at the task of missions. Faith Bible Church defines the task this way. Sending people to cross barriers, that's our word again, barriers to preach the gospel to those who otherwise would never hear because the church is not yet established in their culture so that they might believe. Now, to help understand that definition, let's consider the D-Day beaches. It was a very costly day in the life of our country. Thousands of young men in the prime of life lost their lives. But the Allied forces needed a foothold or a beachhead in fortress Europe before they could advance toward Berlin. They had to intentionally cross a difficult barrier, that is the English Channel, so they could proceed. That is the job of missions, to establish beachheads among every tribe, tongue, and nation so that evangelism can bring in more disciples. Another way to look at this is kind of a silly example. It's to look at the difference between pancakes and waffles. Are you hungry? Hope not quite yet. So what happens if you pour syrup on a pancake? It goes everywhere, right? It covers the entire pancake. What happens if you pour syrup on a waffle? It gets stuck in that place. So what do you have to do? You have to intentionally move your syrup container around to cover the different holes because of the, there's barriers between those pockets. So intentionally moving the syrup container around, that's missions. The pouring of the syrup is evangelism. So they're both necessary, but there's a difference between them. Enough of that. I'm making you hungry. Sorry. Another term I want to examine is the term unreached. Now, we need to preach the gospel, it said, where he has not yet been known, 
to those who are otherwise would never hear the gospel because the church is not yet established in their culture. These are people we call unreached. The gospel is not accessible to them. Now, your neighbor or relative most likely is not unreached. They have many opportunities to hear the gospel and to respond. They probably drive by 25 churches to go to work. They've got 35 versions of the Bible available in their language. They can listen to two or three different radio broadcasts from gospel radio stations. The gospel is accessible to them. They are unresponsive to the light that they have. They're not unreached. So evangelism addresses a response problem. They need more evangelism so they can respond. But missions addresses an access problem. There are simply people in the world who do not have access to the gospel. They will be born, they will live their entire lives, and they will die without ever hearing about the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we read a little while ago that we are all ambassadors, and we are called to be ambassadors in the unique ways that God has gifted us. Second Corinthians says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Praise God. Not counting their trespasses against them, for which I am very thankful. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. I'm not always happy about that. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Now that's God's plan A. Sometimes I think it was a kind of a stupid plan. He's using you and I as channels for the gospel. I think an angel could do a better job. Or maybe he could have wrote it in the stars or in the clouds or some other way besides frail humans but that's god's ideal he's making his appeal through us so we implore people on behalf of christ to be reconciled to god so we are all ambassadors we are all necessary channels of the gospel message now let's put this together with Acts 4.12, which says there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not Confucius, not even John the Baptist. The name of Jesus is the only name that can save now most of us here i think would mentally and theologically agree with that that we are all ambassadors we are necessary channels of the gospel and that there is salvation in no one else those who are devoted to missions take up that role of an ambassador to those who need to hear because because there is salvation in no one else. 
somehow, if we're not devoted to missions, we must think or believe that the almost three billion people, one-third of the world, who has never heard the gospel, who will be born and live their entire lives and die without hearing the gospel, we must think somehow they're going to be okay. I call that a quasi-universalist or functional universalist. And sometimes in my heart of hearts, I wish that were true. I wish that they'd be okay. Won't God work it out somehow? Surely he, he'll be gracious to them. And No, it doesn't say that. There is no hope for universalism in the scriptures. They need to hear about Jesus. Now, the other issue of being a kind of a latent universalist, and so I can not be involved with missions, is I simply don't care. And that's something I have to battle with. I have compassion fatigue. There are so many needs. There are so many people who need to hear the gospel that I'm, I'm just tired of it. And after a while, I just don't care. There are two or three billion people who have never heard who will go to hell. Now, I'm going to trust that you're neither a universalist nor uncaring and hard-hearted. So I'm going to speak to those for the rest of my time here. That you care and you know that it's only Jesus that saves. Now I've defined a few key terms and we've talked about our practical theology. Let's look at our marching orders now. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Did you know that for a thousand years, from the time of St. Augustine to the time of William Carey, that verse was considered fulfilled? It didn't have application to us anymore. You know, Paul went to Spain, John Mark went to Egypt, Thomas went to India, you know, Peter was crucified upside down. I mean, the, the, the apostles went everywhere and fulfilled this verse. William Carey came along and created an incredible earthquake in 1791. He said, time out, guys. There's a bunch of Baptists there, you know. He says, why are we still baptizing people if this is finished if this is completed, why are we wasting our time? Obviously, you think that part of this still applies. Besides, doesn't it say something about to the end of the age? So he created quite a, quite a stir that this verse still applies. So a thousand years of, of how it was understood is changed. And we have an incredible experience. People going out in waves upon waves of missionaries really going to the ends of the earth. 
Now, we're a little more clever than that. We know it applies, but oftentimes we just reread it or we leave out parts of it. We say something like, mm, go therefore and make disciples of anybody, as many as you can. Just go out and do it. And we leave out of all nations. Or we change it, we kind of water it down. Go, therefore, make disciples of your neighborhood, of your neighbors. Doesn't say that either. It says what? It says, of all the nations. Panta ta ethne. That's a very specific word. Of all people, groups, of all nations, of all tribes and tongues and people that consider themselves unique and together. Now, Revelation 7 gives us the heart of God. It also gives us where the train of history is heading. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages they, were, they will be standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. They'll be crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is where the train of history is heading. Abraham was promised, through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Jesus came as that seed, and someday history will be complete. The peoples of this world will worship God in history, and then they'll worship him forever in heaven. But this has not yet occurred yet. We have a job to do, and that job is missions. So the question remains, how can we make our best contribution to the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to bring you three different ways that you could be involved and then two universal ways that we all need to be involved in the great commission. The first one is to go. Some of us need to leave the comforts of our homeland and the, the wonders of Lincoln, Nebraska to go overseas to spread the gospel in places like Timbuktu or Kathmandu. We went for 26 years overseas. First we went to Egypt. Why did we go there? Well, there were many Muslims who had not and still have not heard about Jesus Christ. Now, Egypt was not a very nice place to be. We didn't go there because we were on vacation. And I would definitely not suggest retiring there. Cairo is hot. It's dirty, dusty, lots of bugs. Lots of people. There's 20 million people living on top of one another. It's not a very pleasant 
place to live. But people there need to hear the gospel. So we went for 13 years. Then we moved on to Jordan. Now, why were we in Jordan? Well, for one thing, we got kicked out of Egypt. In fact, I'm still blacklisted. I can't go back. But we went to Jordan for 13 years. Why? Because there were many people groups from the Middle East. People like the Yazidis, the Sabaeans, the Muslims, nominal Christians, Armenians, Turks, Kurds, that needed to hear the gospel. We had a school for 400 children, most of them from non-Christian backgrounds, who we had a daily Bible class for, and a chapel. So they heard the gospel. But we decided to move on, and, and so I'll tell you about that later. So um, now I want to tell you about how many groups are still in the world who need to hear. There are more than 17,000 unique ethnic groups in the world, according to many people. Of those 17,000, there are 7,000 who are considered unreached. Remember, that means not having access to the gospel. So for most of the population, they will be born, they will live their entire lives, and they will die without ever meeting a Christ follower or hearing the gospel that Jesus saves, like we, like we sung today. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 says some people have no knowledge of God. That's that 7,000 people group, nations, entire nations, groups of people who do not know about Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I say this to your shame. How can it be that after 2,000 years, we still have 7,000 people groups, nations, that are still unreached with very little access to the gospel? Take, for example, the Kurdish nation, Kurdish people. There's about 30 million of them. They're the largest group that doesn't have a country, the largest nation without a country. They are a people group. They have their own flag. They're scattered throughout Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Syria. They were actually promised a country in World War I. Then they got gypped, so it never happened. But they are a people, 30 or 40 million of them, and we have probably a 1,000 of them here in Lincoln, Nebraska. They are a group of people who, are, who have yet to hear the gospel. There are some Christians among them. There are some people who are spreading the gospel among them. But they are not yet following Jesus Christ. How can we make our best contribution by going? One of the ways that we can fulfill the Great Commission is to go 
ourselves. But not everyone can or should go. We're like the Marines. We're looking for a, a few good men and women to go overseas because it's not easy to take the gospel to the Kurds or to the Chinese or to the Uyghurs in China or to the Sikhs in Pakistan or India. So there's a few qualifications. I want to run through those qualifications and you ask yourself, does that apply to me or to you? The first qualification I would say is, is ability to learn a language. Now, do you know what Europeans ca call someone who speaks one language? They call him an American. Because we're not known for being multilingual. But we can learn a language. It's not impossible. We just think because we went through high school and failed German or Spanish that we cannot learn a language. We can, but it takes work. And you might be one who is uniquely gifted to learn a language. Flexibility, number two. Nothing, absolutely nothing works out overseas the way you plan it. You've heard of Murphy's Law? That prevails overseas. In fact, most people say Murphy was an optimist overseas. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. You must either adapt or you go crazy living overseas. Are you flexible? Humility. You will eat a lot of humble pie overseas. We haven't had a church potluck for a while, but I've never seen humble pie served at the potluck. You will sound like a baby, blah, 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 trying to learn another language. You make a thousand cultural mistakes because you simply don't know what you don't know. You must learn that the quick road to humility is humiliation. And you will have to go down that road time and time again. Are you a humble person? Teachability. Language and culture have to be learned, but you must also learn the Bible in a new way. Your new culture will have wickedness manifested in ways that it's different from here. Things like female circumcision or endemic lying. They will need to have a Bible study and a lesson prepared for each new cultural sin. We need people who don't yet know what they need to know, and they will find it out from the Bible. Are you teachable? Submission to one another. Lone rangers, please stay home. We need to work well with others and not be hard-headed and insist on my way of doing things. Are you submissive to one another? Willingness to sacrifice. If you go overseas, you're not just going to miss church potlucks. You're going to miss a lot of weddings, a lot of graduations that are going on yesterday and today, a lot of anniversaries. You're going to miss a lot of funerals and a few robocalls from your phone. 
you know, it hurts to miss out. It does. But what you gain is far greater than what you give up. Jesus said, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, it just keeps getting worse and worse. This is a long list. For my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Yes, there is sacrifice, great sacrifice, when someone goes overseas. But it's worth it. And the last one I'll mention is godliness. Because overseas, you will face temptations that you only experience in your nightmares here. It's very intense overseas. I guarantee your weaknesses will find you out. Your life will be carefully watched. People even went through our garbage to find out who we really were. There are no secrets overseas. So are you a godly person? Now this, this narrows the field quite a bit, but I hope that out of a group this size, that two or three would be qualified to go. Why give your brief life on this miserable planet for a lesser cause? And is it a miserable planet? We just had 19 kids killed this week, and a couple teachers. This is not a rose garden. We do not live in the Garden of Eden anymore we live in a fallen world but you know when we talk about missions multiply what happened by a million there are more than 19 million children in unreached areas that will be born that will live and that will die without ever hearing about the gospel of jesus christ that is a greater tragedy so the question is, again, are you one who should go? Some of you are young, younger than I am. I would challenge you, if you feel stirred to go, you want to give your life for something that counts, then talk to Mike Hertzler. Talk to the church staff and elders and deacons here. I challenge you to be on the lookout for qualified men and women to send out, and youth. We must encourage the very best among us to go, and some of those that are not among the very best either. Okay, what if you're not among the elite who should go? And I shouldn't call them elite, because we're not really different in nature. Maybe we're just more determined to make our lives count. But if you're not among those that go, then I challenge you to be among those who send. We need partners. We need people who will send out those who are qualified to go. Romans says, how shall they preach unless they are sent? A church should be evaluated on its sending capacity, not its seating capacity 
Now, this is not a second-class job. If people do not send, then qualified people cannot go. Senders are those who literally, I mean, hold the ropes. I don't know how many times I was overseas in Cairo or Jordan, hanging by a thread over a thousand feet of disaster, and I needed people back home who were holding the ropes, holding on to my sanity. We need a mission control station, like in Apollo 13 here. People that will know what to do when I call back, Houston, we've got a problem here. Because that happens all the time overseas. And if I don't have a mission control where people are scrambling, they're, they're, they're going to make it happen. They're going to they're bail me out so I don't burn up on reentry. I can't tell you how many missionaries burn up on reentry because no one is at their mission control station. We need senders. We're desperately in need of people who understand how to send. I'd love for Faith Bible Church to develop a society of senders to serve as a mission control so we can send out more people. Now, what can you do as a sender? Well, one thing you can do is you can visit a missionary overseas. You can find a place on his motorcycle, take a trip around town, find out what makes him tick. How does he live? What does he eat? How can I support this guy so he can succeed at the hard things in life and does not burn out? We also need to keep in touch with many missionaries. We need to subscribe to their letters so we can pray for them. We need to, when they come home, help them out, give them a place to stay, loan them a car. We need to keep ourselves in a wartime mentality so we understand what it takes for them to, to go through the sacrifices they have. Those that send are soulmates of those that go. The best senders are those that want to go, but they can't for some reason. They don't settle for less. They morph into an equally vital role. So I challenge you to become a sender. Another thing you can do is to welcome. Welcome the many people, the many refugees, students, immigrants from places that have never heard the gospel. Welcome them to Lincoln, Nebraska. God has brought many, many people here. Matthew says, I was a stranger, or Jesus says this, I was a stranger, you welcomed me. So why are we in Lincoln now there's so many needs overseas why do we come home we weren't kicked out of Jordan but there are many many refugee groups here in Lincoln and we have a unique opportunity to welcome them because they came from an area that had no access or very little access to the gospel God is bringing them here to have opportunity to hear so I want to say thank you for Faith Bible Church. You're doing a fantastic job in this category. Many of you, many of your uh, faith life groups have uh, sponsored an Afghan family, supplying furniture or taking them to appointments. Welcoming them is what 
we do we do well and i thank you for that but we can always do a better job let me remind you of some of the groups that have made lincoln home first group that i love are the yazidis the yazidis are not muslims they're not christians they come from northern iraq from the kurdistan area they've been there for mm, thousand years or so they worship the basic elements of the earth I could tell you a lot about Yazidis, but there are more here in Lincoln than anywhere else in North America. Let me tell you about the Sabaeans. The Sabaeans are people who still follow John the Baptist. We don't have a major population of them here, maybe two or three hundred in Lincoln, Nebraska, but they are here in America, and they need to hear the gospel. There are many Syrian and, and Iraqi Muslims, as well as the Afghan Muslims that have come in, they need to hear the gospel from us. They need to be welcomed. There are many Vietnamese Buddhists. We have two major Buddhist temples in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I would encourage you to visit them. They can be kind of a scary place from the outside, but if the monk's there, he'll let you come in and ring the gong, and in one of the major Buddhist temples, they have 99 Buddhas on one wall and 99 Buddhas on the other wall. And you can ask them questions. They, they delight to answer questions about Buddhism. There are Vietnamese Catholics here, lots of them. And some of you know them personally. Um, they need to hear the gospel as well. There are many Ukrainians here who are Greek Orthodox. We have a church on Holdridge. Greek Orthodox Church. And though they were promised at the war that we would bring 100,000 Ukrainian refugees, that hasn't really happened. But if they can get to Mexico, which they do, when they come to the border, they're given a humanitarian visa and they can go where they want to go. And I just found out this week there are new ukrainian refugees who have arrived in lincoln and i would encourage all of us to reach out to them maybe include them in our vbs that's coming up in june what an opportunity it is the Karin come from burma and we've had them up here as a children's choir they are nominally christian but we they need a lot of work of, of evangelism among them and the hindus from india these are just some of the major groups that are here in Lincoln and Omaha. In fact, you can go to the Hindu temple. Uh, it's open. They will let you, they will either give you a tour or they'll let you go in. You can see the monkey god and the, and the Vishnu and the, and the elephant god. And you can kind of experience what, how Hindus worship. These are people that God has brought to us. Now, what can we do? These are three different ways. I, I challenge you to consider going or to be on a sending group who help those that go, or to welcome those. These are ways we can all fulfill the Great Commission. But all of us can pray. And there is a prayer group every fourth Saturday. Kurt Blum, Kurt Blum is, is running that prayer meeting. It's 8 in the morning to 8.45. There's still time to mow your lawn. Afterwards, you can come and pray once a month. We can, you can subscribe to, to 
newsletters. We put out one. Everybody that's supported by Faith Bible Church puts out a newsletter. Uh, when they speak in the ark or wherever, please get on their newsletter list. They need you praying for their needs. Well, what do you pray when you pray for a missionary? You can pray Bible prayers. And here's a few of them to pray that the Lord of the Harvest will send out more workers. Every missionary needs an additional worker to help him. Pray that uh, they speak with boldness because sometimes we have cold feet and we're shy or we don't know how to speak as we should. Pray that they make it clear. The gospel message must be clear because I don't know the language fluently yet. And pray that the, the uh, gospel will speed ahead and be honored. You can also pray through a prayer cast video. I encourage you to watch these. Prayercast.com has prayer cast videos on hundreds of countries and people groups. You can watch them um, for family devotions. You can watch them in your faith life group. You can watch them before you put on your Redbox video. Whatever, you know, I would say get prayer material into your hands and into your head. And you will also learn about different people. And that's the other thing I encourage you to do. Be a lifelong learner. We need to be more educated on the task of missions that remains. It's important to know how the gospel is spreading and where it has yet to take root. We need to read missionary stories. Ruth is reading them to the preschoolers here once a month. I wish it would go through every Sunday school class. If you are a part of Perspectives on the World Christian Movement, we had it here at Faith a number of years ago. If you're an alumnus, you can go again for free. If you missed it, we will do it again in January. Listen for the announcements. It tells you in 15 weeks what could be your best contribution to fulfilling the Great Commission. And if you attended the Mission Movie Night last week, I encourage you to come again. Make it a regular event and bring as many people as possible, especially your family. It's exciting when parents and grandparents encourage their children and grandchildren to give up their lives for something that will outlast their lives. I wish we had more materials. This is a great uh, opportunity to bring your kids and grandkids to expose them to increase their vision for what God could do for them and do with them. We're only here for a few years. Our life is like a vapor. It's like smoke. It will clear and we'll be gone. We need to give the next generation a vision of what God could do in their lives beyond A is for astronaut and B is for baboon or whatever we do, you know, and what could they do? You know, you could, be a, you could fly a jet, you could be a vet. What happened to you? You could be a missionary. We need to give kids a vision for what God could do with their lives. That is the role of every parent and grandparent here. So we all have a part in fulfilling the Great Commission. Going to the ends of the earth, Timbuktu, Kathmandu, even Cairo, Egypt. 
sending our most promising children and church members, welcoming Afghans and other refugees to our community, praying and learning about the greatest show on earth, which is not the circus. It's the expansion of the kingdom of Jesus Christ on this earth. And if we link arms and come together in this task, we may, it is entirely possible, we could finish the Great Commission in our generation. I want us all to pray the Lord's Prayer. As you consider how God could use you best, this is not an optional assignment. It's not the great suggestion. It's the Great Commission, and we've all been commissioned to go, or to send, or to welcome. Will you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.